Radio Misfits Podcast Network. From the birthplace of modern winemaking, Sonoma, California, welcome to the winemakers. Local experts Sam Katuri, Bart Hansen, and Brian Casey, along with host John Myers, invite you to listen in as they discuss all facets of winemaking. So sit back, pour yourself a glass, and let's hear what the guys have to say this week. Hi, and welcome to the winemakers. This is Brian Casey with my friend Bart Hansen. Hi, Brian. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good. We are Johnless and Samless. Um, yeah, which seems to be the <laughs> seems to be the norm lately. Yeah, I think Sam's um, busy just staying in touch uh, with the vineyards and his responsibilities at the tasting house. And John's on the injured reserve list. John, we're thinking about you. IRL, okay. I and like um, and we'll catch up with him soon enough. We hope. Okay, so we're at a cool new spot. We are. Uh, it's an old friend, actually. If you go back in the archives, um, Steve Laws is, I think the is show number two and three, and right because wow. and I think so we were trying. Is, the is it three complete? and four? Is it three and four? You were saying. I, I think, think we were, so. we were trying to figure that out. Why why we had spread you out over two shows? It's just because you're so damn interesting. There's so much to know. Right. <laughs> it's like it's like the Matrix. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was three and four. Okay, three and four. So Sonoma's own James Bond. You guys can figure out why it was referred to that. And McLaren Syrah. So those were the two wow. episodes. Okay. Um, but you have changed your location and we wanted to come over and I, I guess Bart has been here. I haven't been over here. We just kind of wanted to come over and see what you were doing well, over here. Brian, you were, you, uh, I don't know what number you're on, Bart. Oh, there we go. Oh, well. The, um, so you used to have a tasting room and that's where we did those first two podcasts was, um, on the square in Sonoma yep. and you have since moved to Kenwood where you have this beautiful piece of property surrounded by vineyards and yep. friendly neighbors, um, which we have noticed. Yes. Yeah. Very friendly. <laughs> it's very, they've been very welcoming. But this is, this is a really different kind of space. I mean, this is a different vibe. It was. It got to that stage, Brian. I mean, we'd been in uh, Sonoma for uh, six years. I had that taste room. I was. I was. Wow. And I was pretty much doing it. Um, Can we talk a little bit about the state of tasting rooms on the square in Sonoma well, while they, we're at oh it? Oh boy. <laughs> well, you know, this is. You know, just just yesterday. No, let's keep it. Let's keep it all positive. <laughs> let's keep it okay, clean. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> No, you know, I can say that uh, Sonoma's not saturated yet. I was talking with Joanne Weir, who's a chef on KQED yesterday, and she was talking about her trips to Walla Walla. And the amount of tasting rooms that she was saying was on their square was insane. Um, but, I, but maybe for them, that's like the only thing going on there. Well, I mean, the thing for us, though, is we'd been there for six years. And Heather and I tried to run the place ourselves, uh, which was always a bit of a challenge during uh, harvest because I make the wine. And so it was difficult trying to keep a place open between 12 and 6 on, you know, on the days and you're sitting there. And there's a thousand things to do in the winery yeah. and in the vineyards. And um, it's kind of difficult to do that. And so it got to the stage where I decided it was going forward because we'd become more and more popular, which was great, and I'm not complaining. But the, the thing was, is got to that stage where I was thinking, well, either I'm going to have to get somebody to help me and do this for me, or... We're going to try and have to find a place where we can continue to do it ourselves. And that's, Heather found this place here and it's perfect because we've got a little tasting space on our property now. And so I can do it by appointment and I know when people are coming. Right. I don't have to sit, you know, as a, like a fisherman on the side of a river waiting right. on a fish to swim by. I can actually, I know exactly when people are coming. Yeah, and, and come out and do it. And, and to set the stage a little bit. So we're actually up in Kenwood. Um, 
and uh, this their new tasting space sits right behind Landmark Winery at the base of uh, Gunsight Rock. I mean, the view from here is unbelievable. And the other thing that I think is beautiful here is that all these mature walnut trees, that somewhere along the way, this must have been primarily a walnut orchard. Um, we got uh, told that by our neighbors. Yeah, this whole area was. Yeah, and they're just absolutely beautiful, um, as a, you know, to set off from the vineyards and stuff. And then there's some nice houses. And, yeah, and whatnot. But it's really a spectacular space. So um, yeah, we were very lucky to find it. Um, Heather found it actually before even the realtors found it. And I think she found it on Wednesday. We offered it on Thursday, and we had it by Friday. But what was here? Uh, I mean, it looks new. So what was here before that you had to do changes on? This. Um, this building used to be an old barn, mm-hmm. and so what we had to do was we had to change the barn um, into a into a kind of tasting space, and so we had to um, work on the outside. We had to clean it up a little bit. We had to put, we decided to put a little patio on the outside, and then the inside we had to clean the, the inside up and basically turn and it. And who around. did all that? It was um, fortunately I have a wine club member who's a fantastic contractor. Nice. And myself. The nice. two of us have been working together and listening to ACDC on our... Um... <laughs> <laughs> Wait, whose choice was that? <laughs> Both. Okay. You know, on a side note, this weekend I went to my friend AJ's 50th birthday party. And on Friday night of his weekend party, um, they had an ACDC cover band play. Oh, nice. And they're from Sonoma. Um, James Marshall Barry is uh, part of it. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I have to say, they were outstanding. I mean, this guy had had um, Bon Scott down. Oh, he was um, doing the Bon Scott ACDC. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's the only one, too. Anyway. Um, anyway. No, so, shout out to James Marshall Barry. I actually work with his son, Jesse. Okay. Um, but yeah, he's, he's, he's a local, uh, local legend for uh, playing guitar. So, um, are you a um, are you a uh, ACDC fan? I yes, absolutely. Or was it just motivational music? It's a Scottish band. Is that true? Yes. Everybody thinks they're Australian because they live in Australia, but they're all Scottish. Okay. Bon Scott was born in Scotland. Wow, I had no Angus idea. Angus and um, Malcolm were both the Youngs were both from Scotland. They emigrated to Australia, but they're Scottish. Interesting. Oh, yeah, you have to support your local Scottish bands. We should mention that uh, Steve is Scottish. <laughs> In case you were wondering where he was from. Right. And so tell us about how long it was. So when you gave, how does that work when you tell whoever owned that tasting room on the square? Were they looking to, I mean, do you think they're going to be able to fill that space? Were they able to fill that space immediately? Or was there people that were waiting to get into the downtown tasting scene still? I don't know why that's all going to play out. I, I don't I don't really know. Our, our space, as you know, is tucked all the way at the very back of the property. And so we didn't get very much walk-in traffic at all. It was actually all referral business mm-hmm. that we were getting back there. Um, so we were tucked at the very back of the property. But um, our lease was coming up. So the lease, because we'd been there for six years, and my lease was actually going to expire. Um, it did expire on May 1st this year. Okay. And so basically what we decided to do was rather than to renew the lease and for another, you know, continue to, to do that, um, we decided to to find something, as I mentioned, that would enable the pair of us to continue to do this ourselves um, versus um, having somebody else be the person that's pouring the wine. And 
It's just that we've got so much feedback from people over the years about how, how much they enjoy talking to the person who actually makes the wine and is able to talk about it and talk about the vineyards and talk about the inspirations behind it and why I'm trying to do this. Um, that's why we decided to, to stay with this model because it just seemed... I get great feedback and people seem to, to enjoy it too. Well, there's no doubt that people enjoy... I know I get the same feedback. People, there's a leg up on you when you're the one who's actually in the vineyards or making the wine or both when you're actually selling the wine and drinking the wine and too, drinking the wine yeah, yeah. Um, with the people that 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 helps you in in telling your special story, yep. you know, and um, and that sets you apart from those places where the ownership maybe hasn't even walked into the tasting room before and 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 that's no one specifically but i mean just in general that's just kind of the way it is it's Mm -hmm. you know there's there's a number of very authentic tasting rooms around the square in downtown sonoma yes um and they deserve to be um trafficked and they deserve to have people come in and and try the wines and, and get to learn about it without a doubt um but you, you think you think this is kind of the new model, which which is what we've talked about over the last uh, however many shows that the new model is make an appointment, sit down, spend an hour, hour and a half with the winemaker, and right. and ca- you know take your time and actually go through the wines. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, mean that's, that's that, and that's what we, we as people here in Sonoma that this is what we want people to do actually when they come visit. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And it's more relaxed too in terms of I've been on the other side of the bar. I mean, for six years, I used to be on one side of the bar and everybody else was, you know, coming up and, you know, glasses of wine and be standing two, three deep. And it's it's not fun doing it that way either. It's nicer to be able to sit down with people around the table, share the wines, pair them with little food nibbles so you can actually talk about the different food pairings and stuff like that and just and just take your time and be more relaxed about it. And it's, yeah. I, I'm, so far, it's been fantastic for the pair of us. The pair of us have really enjoyed it. And the feedback we've got from people coming in is, why didn't you do this years ago? <laughs> yeah. Right. And do you find, is it a, is it a um, thing where you're, you sell more wine per person at this yes. location than you did before? Without a doubt. Yeah. Yeah, I get it. Hey, Steve, could you um, talk about this first wine, uh, please? And, and maybe give us a little bit of, you know, what you find in the wine, like as far as flavors and textures. Uh, um, I, uh, because we have, we had a listener um, who we really appreciate their feedback. And he was asking us for a little more information on the wines. And I think he just means kind of like stylistic. And I mean, I'm sure he'd love to hear some of your descriptors for it, but I'd much rather have you do it than me to try to attempt to do it. It's interesting to see how you get this. Because um, for me, this is, this is, the first wine is my Viognier. Yep. I um, started making Viognier in 2016. So this is my third vintage of Viognier. Um, as you know, Viognier is very, very difficult to find in Northern California because there's just so little planted. Right. And where it is planted, it does tend to be in the warmer areas, um, you know, Livermore, Lodi, places like that. And so the style of wine that you can make from those that fruit is very, very different from the style of, of Viognier I was used to. Um, when I was in the Northern Rhone, Condreu is, is, that's Viognier. And I, I loved uh, Condreu. Couldn't afford Chateau Grier, so it was always Condreu. But um, love that style. And so really what I've been trying to do is find a vineyard that would enable me to make that same style. And uh, Russian River was obviously a prime choice, but as you know, Russian River is mostly planted to Pinot. And um, so it's very difficult to find uh, a you know, vineyard that's going to have it, some it, view on you. It, it is really kind of funny because, and, and I guess I talk about this all the time, it seems that 
Syrah and Viognier that was planted here in the North Coast, most of it was planted in the wrong places. Yeah. You know, Syrah was it's planted changing. heavily to very, very warm areas. Warm. Um, you know, when you talk about the majority of acres planted, yes, there are a lot of vineyards now planted in cool growing areas, but it wasn't that way. No. And when it was overplanted, it was all overplanted in warm areas. Yeah, and, no, I totally agree. And so, and, I mean, I was very fortunate to find this vineyard. Uh, the Grigori Vineyard in uh, Green Valley, Russian River. So it's just west of Grayton. Mm-hmm. And uh, a good friend of mine, another Scottish winemaker, was very good uh, enough to uh, to share the vineyard with me because he makes a fantastic Viognier from it too. But for me, what that does is when you find the Viognier from cool climate versus the warmer climates, the f- the flavor profile completely changes. For me, in this Viognier, and it's um, for, again, it kind of reminds me more of the Condrieux, is it gives you more of a floral lift. Yep. There's a prettiness to it. So you're not going to get that big jam, peach or the jam apricot, which tends to go on the sweeter side because the alcohols are high. This is only 13.5. It's bone dry. And you've got honeysuckle. You've got jasmine. You've yeah. got all the different floral uh, notes that come out of the wine. And for, my, for me, those higher phenolics represent cool climate style, both in Syrah and in, in Viognier. And I was super happy to find this vineyard um, and have access to some of the fruit. I don't make very much, I make about three barrels of it every year, but I love the fruit because it maintains that freshness, gives you that floral lift, it keeps the freshness. There's still that um, viscosity that you get with Viognier, right. but it's not overpowering. It's not like you're, you've are you just so, taken a gulp of petrol or something. So, you, you know, some Viogniers can be oily, and Brian, I like your thoughts on this also, you know, described as oily. Um, this is not this that way. This has nice phenolics. Is do you guys think the the oiliness is from a clone or a grape growing area, or is there something winemaking? Or am I out of my mind? And I have I no of, idea why you thought that I would be able to answer that question. No, 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 because you've tasted probably a lot more Viognier than I've tasted. And do you notice stylistically, like there's a certain grape growing area where the the Viognier's are more oily? I, I think what I found is that it sort of depends on the on the the winemaker and my prop my problem with Viognier sometimes is that it's like it's it's like um, lavender if you use lavender in cooking that there's there's a certain point that you want to reach where it's just the perfect amount but once you step over that line that that's all you taste and with Viognier it's one of those things where that that stone fruit peach apricot honey so sometimes just becomes a little bit overwhelming where that becomes the personality of the wine instead of like this where you're tasting like you said white flowers and you're and you're it's subtle and restrained but beautiful instead of just you know when 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 you get those well maybe you don't so when you get those old ladies that that walk into the restaurant and they're they're just covered in perfume and you want to say does why doesn't someone tell them that they that they're reeking and they they're smelling up the entire restaurant mm-hmm. to me that's what happens with vna sometimes it's just like oh my god you guys what were you doing why didn't you just pick that like two or three weeks before and it would have been this beautiful acid driven wine that has great mouthfeel and and by the way has incredible aromatics but instead you've made this perfume I think for <laughs> me, to answer, I think all of the things that you mentioned can affect that viscosity in the wine, for sure. I think the, the soil, I think the, the region. 
But I think also I've been playing with this. I've only had three vintages at it and I played with them a little bit in terms of because I've only got three barrels typically of each each vintage. So I'm playing with different barrels in different styles a wee bit and I'm using Lee's aging and batonage. And I'm really finding that the batonage is really giving it a lot more. And so therefore I'm trying to do different batonage regimes in each of the three different barrels. And then when you put them back together again, hopefully you get something that's got some body to it, got some viscosity, but not too much. Because I I agree with yourself in terms of your analysis is Viognier is one of those wines that it's beautiful, it's beautiful, it's not. Yeah, yeah, you know, and it just it, there's a point where it gets to where you, it's the ball's rolling down the other side of the hill. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know what? Both of you answered my question very well. So, yeah, Thanks, I Brian. I just feel like sometimes it, it can get put in the same category as Gewurz or Riesling as far as on you know palate wise and aromatically. But when it's when it's at that right balance, it's just one of the most beautiful wines ever. Yeah. yeah. See, and I've never had a chance to drink any. Um, French Viennese so that I can you oh know. well uh, that leads for another time but yes exactly <laughs> so I don't have a good reference my point is my point you know. I mean okay. I have maybe once or twice but obviously not enough right <laughs> obviously not enough well you remember our friend Melanie Harding um, down in Paso Robles who owns Bone Niche and, and I don't know if you remember that show when they were in the back of the Rhone room and one of her friends was a big Viennese lover and we said have you ever had Condru and she said no um, and they happened to sell one at the Rhone room at the time. So she bought a bottle and it wasn't cheap. It was like 60 or $75 or something. And, and she just told me that, um, this last week she said, Oh, my friend is, you know, it still talks about that wine that she got oh, really? from Condru that it was just the most amazing wine she'd ever had. Yeah. Wow. Cool. Now Condru is, is a fantastic region and it's been growing Viognier for, for decades, centuries. So, I mean, it's, it's uh, it's set up for it, and I mean it's it's yeah. just beautiful. Well, for now, I mean climate change is one of those things we keep talking about. Yes. We're, um, <laughs> yeah, don't want to bring the room down, but uh, I mean, I'm I'm you, starting to wonder when when we're going to start growing cab and champagne. Well, you know, and we haven't we haven't been able to talk about this, but did you see what grapes have been made available to plant in Bordeaux? What some um, uh, some port varieties. Toraldigo, Tinto Negro, what is it? The Yeah. Okay. And, and what does that mean that they've been allowed to... Well, you can only grow the five Bordeaux varieties in Bordeaux. And yep. depending on where you're at, you can maybe only grow something else. But, oh, but who made that decision? The Appalachian system. The Appalachian it was put system. in place by Napoleon back and, in the 1800s. <laughs> but but who, who decides that now Napoleon all Napoleon decided... Well, <laughs> Well, I don't think, I think Napoleon's around that, anymore. I think they're saying that they're acknowledging climate change. change yes. Huh. Right? It and used to be, it was strange, because I got to know a really, really fantastic champagne producer when I was living in France, Guy Michel. Love his champagne, still do. And um, he he's fourth generation, and um, he makes a very small amount of champagne. It's not a very big house. It's a very small uh, artisan-type house. And what he would do in certain vintages, only certain vintages, he would make a little Pinot on the side. If the Pinot got to that perfect ripeness mm. and stuff in Champagne, it was only certain vintages he would do it. And it was spaced out by 15, 20 years between the vintages. And wow. he would taste his Pinot from time to time. Do you know those guys now make Pinot every single year? Hmm. There you go. Because they get the ripeness they're looking for. Right. Yeah, interesting the way the climate's changing. That was a conversation I had the other day with that... Uh, 
with a guy that came into uh, Sante that works at Schramsberg and is going to UC Davis for Enology, and he's actually looking to work in Burgundy uh, next year as a uh, indentured, indentured servant. Yeah, right. <laughs> and his girlfriend uh, um, has written papers on climate change, so mm. it was an interesting conversation to have. Yep. Um, but, but let's get back to you guys. When exactly, what was the day that you guys moved out here? We bought the property during harvest, which is something that I <laughs> promised you we will never, ever do again. It was brutal. Um, I never want to do that ever again, but it was, that was when the property became available and so we had to move on it. But um, we actually only moved in, the people who were buying our house were very nice to us, very, very good people to us. They let us stay in our old house for during harvest. So wow. we didn't have to actually move. So we sold the house to them and they gave us a rent back so we could actually stay there, which was v the most beautiful thing when you think about it. But um, it enabled us to stay there, which was closer to the winery too, because um, it was just down the road and enabled us to just really focus on getting through harvest. And Heather pretty much packed up the house on her own because um, I was out in a vineyard or a winery or drinking with Bart. No, um, <laughs> no comment. <laughs> I wasn't ever at Sonoma's Best on a Tuesday afternoon at Tuesday afternoon with Todd. No, so it was um, a very difficult time, but it worked out perfectly. And so we moved into the house in uh, the end of very end of harvest. So it was into November and uh, we've been working on the place ever since. Yeah. And are you finished, you think? Uh, no, no. <laughs> what do you still want to do? Well, we started uh, working in the house now, so we're working on um, doing a little bit of uh, upkeep and uh, <laughs> yeah, upkeep in the house uh, since we've finished this this place now. So we focused on the on the tasting space, so we could get the run our business from here first, yeah. and then now we're focusing on the house. So Heather's been planting our gardens, and we're trying to figure out how we're going to landscape and um, planted our very first maple tree last week, which was lovely and exciting. Wow. And and you have some vines on the property. We do, yes. And, and you have some new information about the vines on the property. I yes, guess. we do. We met Kaz, who originally was the person who uh, was either he planted it or helped in the uh, so he planted. So um, he planted the vineyard. So he actually let us know that it wasn't just 100% Sangiovese, which is what our realtor or what the realtor on the the paper the, the realtor paper said. Um, it actually told us that. Um, we have some Cabernet Franc out there as well, so which which explains <laughs> explains to me why I've got different sized berries and different shaped leaves. I was I wasn't sure what the other varietal was. <laughs> I never picked it last year, so I'm going to obviously see how things shape up this year. But really, so you're, you're, it sounds like maybe there's uh, some expansion in the McLaren <laughs> portfolio. Well, I'm uh, playing with the Sanjo because I made two. I got. Um, we got the house last year. We got the keys to the house last year. We came up. Heather grabbed my reef rack out the back of the car, grabbed one of my sample bags, because you never go anywhere during harvest without your reef rack and your sample bags. And she grabbed it out of the car. She goes running in the vineyard. She comes back and she goes, it's only 23.4. I think we can pick it. And I went, oh, great. Another vineyard during harvest. Fantastic. Yeah. So, But it worked out great because my, my in-laws, um, all of my in-laws, my um, mum my and my father-in-law, my mother-in-law and my brother-in-law all came uh, with Heather and myself to help us pick our very first estate vineyard, vintage. That is really cool, it actually, was fun. when you think about it. Yeah, it was great. So we picked our very first. We got started a wee bit later than I'd hoped for. We 
We got started about 10 in the morning, which was way later than I thought. Wait a minute, wait a minute. 10 in the morning. 10 in the morning. And everybody why, was... Why half, weren't you guys up at well, 3, I, I, picking I was, in the middle of the night? This I, is your own house. <laughs> you can do whatever the hell you want, right? Well, I Isn't was, that what you're supposed yes. to do? Fortunately, it was a foggy morning and everybody... <laughs> Everybody was and everybody having, was foggy. Well, everybody was having fun picking until about ten thirty, and then they started asking me where the cervezas were. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. So we focused because the vineyard had not really been. Um, I think the couple who had been here before, um, the vineyard was quite. It's quite a lot of work, and um, I, I I don't think it had been um, pruned back aggressively very much, and so there was a lot of fruit hanging. So we focused on first crop. And we picked basically about four or five rows, uh, and we got three quarters of a ton off, which made I, I was able to press two barrels from it. And um, and I've said to Heather that it's in the barrels right now, and I keep tasting it from time to time. And if I think it makes the cut, then I'll put it in a bottle. And if it doesn't, then I'll I'll flush it. But <laughs> well, well, what does it taste like right now? Well, I'm actually quite surprised with it right now. Um, it's very peppery. Okay. Um, the thing for me, though, and I'm sure that you've you've got much better trained palate in Chianti's than I have, but I think in my life I've possibly tasted less than 10 Chianti's in my life. I'm not much of an Italian uh, aficionado, so I don't know the Italian varietals very well. I mean, I stayed in France for 10 years, and we I got into the French thing, which was, if it's not French... <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so I, I, I do love French wine, but um, Italians, I never really got into them that much. So I'm not really um, the best... But I, so far, the flavor profile is surprising me. I like the fruit on it. I love the pepper on it. And it's actually even got a floral lift, which hmm. is kind of nice. And I think that's possibly because I picked it early enough and it's only 30. Most of the Chiantis I drank were in a basket. So <laughs> I'm an adult. And they I now had a, a candle in them right, at your house. Exactly right. I haven't had a lot of them that had like a nice cork finish or anything. Now you're making yeah. me wish I'd brought it here <laughs> so you could sample it, Bart. <laughs> But it, but it made sense to me. I think I mentioned something today when we got here to, um, for making rosé, I think would be kind of fun. Well, the thing is, this year I decided that I was going to prune the vineyard myself because um, I wanted to really uh, pull it back as far as I could. Uh, I think the vineyard had got out of, out, of, um, out of balance a little bit. And so I actually went in and I've been pruning the vineyard myself. I've suckered myself. I've done the whole thing. And I've basically been quite brutal on the vineyard this year in terms of pulling it back. So I have really um, impacted my yields quite significantly. But it's going to come back stronger next year. Right. But since I'm only going to get a very small amount of fruit off the vineyard this year, just for just for laughs, I might do a um, might do a rosé because I know that you like rosé. I've heard. Uh, who I've heard. doesn't Who doesn't like rosé, Steve? <laughs> well, just as we're talking of rosé, this is the rosé, and this is my rosé from uh, 2018. And this is the lightest wine I have ever made. This is 12% alcohol. Wow. It's from Samantha's Vineyard, which is one of my Syrah vineyards. Right. It's up in Russian River. It's on the warmer side of Russian River. It's on the Banana Belt side. It's, on, it's a little bit warmer up there. But this is the, uh, the wine that basically changed my approach to Samantha's Vineyard, which is a very, very complicated vineyard to pick for the Syrahs because it's a 220 degree, 220 degrees of exposition and it's an eight-foot terraced vineyard. Mm-hmm. So the difference between the morning upper and the evening lower side is is huge so we pick the vineyard three times and this wow. is this is the way that i managed to get the early fruit off because i pick it much earlier than the, the rest of the vineyard and take it back to the winery press it and make rosé from it so when you say the banana belt of the russian river i just recently 
heard this spoken of. There was an article in the Press Democrat about Aperture Winery, which is Jess Kaz. Uh, Cats. Cats. Yeah. Um, and he was talking about where his new winery is, which is on East Side Road, kind of around um, Rodney Strong, I think. Hmm. Um, that He called that the banana belt of the Russian River. Yep. So I guess it's... Uh, farther east which would make sense it's a little bit up off the valley floor you know relative to mm-hmm. where the river is mm-hmm. um it probably it's it's farther east so it doesn't get the fog maybe doesn't get out quite that far i think it starts right about where you said it is that rodney strong just north of great of um windsor yeah and then it extends over to the east side of 101 and it goes up into those foothills and that's where this vineyard is is up in the foothills so it's about I think it's about 400 feet uh, above so, the valley floor. Yeah, that's right, because Limerick Lane is Russian River. This is off Limerick this Lane. Is, and this is off yep. Limerick. Okay. So that, that is off Limerick. Okay. Good cycling road too, Bob. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when I, uh, Steve, I think you gave me a bottle of this when it had been recently bottled. Before it was released. Right. Yeah. And and what struck me is the color on it, number one. and then And then the fact that you put it in... A bottle that is not clear right and yes. was that, i mean believe me we all know how things go is that just because you have an extra glass laying around or was this a conscious thing where you said <laughs> it was a conscious thing it's like um it was very very light this year and the reason for that is um the fruit the, the flavors popped early last year in the in the vineyard and so i was looking at i was tasting the fruit was tasting the fruit and the vineyard the, the flavors were there and i'm thinking well why am i waiting what am i waiting for and I thought, I'll pick it. I'm just going to pick for the rosé. So we picked a ton, two bins, and I took it back to the winery and basically pressed it off. And so I know exactly how long it was on skins. It was the time it takes the truck to go from <laughs> Samantha's on Limerick Lane to the winery, which is an yeah. hour and a half. Yeah. And I pressed it immediately after. So it's a very, very light salmon pink color. And so rather than put it into clear, I decided to put it into the dark glass just so it's a bit more of a surprise when you pour it. And I think it's, it's had that reaction that you've just had every yeah. single time I pour it. Yeah. Well, and it is is it, it is interesting because Syrah is so quick to want to give up color. Totally. But obviously not at, at this number. Right. Um, and you said it's on the morning side? No, yes. it's, it's the morning, morning side. Upper side yep. Yeah, so it just doesn't get much of anything. Yep. And, um but the flavors were there and you're thinking, well, you know, if your flavors pop, you know, what, what right. are you waiting for? Right. And so I just thought, no, I'll try it and just see. And to be honest, it's the cleanest. I mean, it's I a very French color. Yes. Very kind of Provence style. Yeah. Um, not the right varietal, obviously, but it's the um, definitely the right color. And I love the, the cleanness, the freshness to it. Yeah. And because for me, when we were drinking rosé in France, it was always with a margarita pizza. And this, I can guarantee, you, goes great with a margarita pizza. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, are you certain? I'll uh, remember that one. <laughs> yes, yeah, is, is that one of the pairings that we have today? Right. <laughs> <laughs> pizza oven still being built. Oh, this okay. This comes to you from Mary's. <laughs> I thought that was a pizza oven in the corner. Wait a minute. <laughs> Very good, Ryan. <laughs> what, what is that in the corner of your property, this big pile of stones that you've got there? My cairn. So I've been, I've been asked to spell it every time I see it, but it's a cairn. It's, it's because you say it a little bit differently than um, us Westerners <laughs> say it. <laughs> so a, a cairn is spelt C-A-I-R-N, and it's basically, it goes back to the old Scottish, um, in Scotland, on top of every hill or every mountain in Scotland, there's a cairn. And it's a loose collection of stones 
that is piled on top of the mountain and it originally designated the old trig points for maps and showed the highest part, part of the hill or mountain. And so when Heather and I moved into the property last year, we found out we had to do a site map of our property. And so we did the site map and we found out that there was a point on our property that was four or five inches higher than the rest of our property. Wow. Very so I significant. said, I'm going to put a cairn on that. <laughs> <laughs> and then the Scottish flag right behind it. <laughs> and and you had a unique um, story from where the stones came from the yes. cairn, right? So this was actually kind of cool is uh, the couple that had the, cut, the house before us had been here for 42 years and they had a, an, an RV and they'd been traveling around the US for many, many years. And uh, they had collected stones from every single state in the U.S. And so every single uh, state had a stone and they had it on this wall. And um, they had all the states and, and, you know, lettered out, you know, Arizona, Alabama, all the different states. And they had their stones. And so it was a really cool thing. It kind of got in where we were going to do some work. <laughs> so it was kind of in the way a little bit, but I didn't want to just get rid of it. That would have so been bad luck. It would have been bad luck. So... Our cairn, which is a loose collection of stones on our property, at the highest point of our property, all four inches above the rest of the... It's four inches off the valley floor, is, um, <laughs> is has a rock from every single state in the U.S. Now, uh, now, now, listeners, remember when you come visit Steve and Heather here in Kenwood you'll be able to find your rock from your state. <laughs> and I'm sure I'm um, sure that Steve will be able to help if, you find if that. If you're stone. Hawaiian, <laughs> I think that might be a little bit easier. No, there's a there's a blue stone out there yeah. that probably comes from uh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I can't remember. I think Heather took a photograph of the wall before we uh, took all the rocks off. So maybe she'll, but she's the primary school teacher. So if I have a, if you have a question, ask her. Okay. So yeah, I, we know some geologists. Do you guys, had, had you guys ever seen that movie, the Englishman who went up a hill and came down a mountain? Yes. <laughs> so that's what it reminds me of. So it's, it was in, do you well, remember the Englishman? Do you remember the name of the town that they were in? The name of that that town where where there's a certain height where a where a hill becomes a mountain, and this yes. town became very um, obsessed with the fact that their hill probably wasn't tall enough. So they built the hill up, and at the top they still need a little space. So what they did is they did sort of what you did here. Oh, cool. They put the little they put a pile of rocks and then put a um, a flagpole. And ran it up, so it, it, it gave it that last, like, eight feet so that they were, uh, like, a foot above. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's fun. And then we put a little, uh, rather than the flag, the Scottish flag, I put up a, a windmill from a local artist in town, Marty Marnson, shout out to him. Uh, extremely great windmills all around town. You see them all the time in Sonoma. And he put together a custom one for me with the Scottish flag behind it. Yeah, he's, um, I, the first ones I ever saw that he did were made out of bicycle parts. And I that think that's why too. they caught my eye. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. okay. Now you can think about I it. I saw him, right. I met him one day at this, um, on the plaza. It was the, one of the, the Sonoma art festivals right. on the plaza. And I saw his windmills from across the, the plaza and I went over to him and I said, do you like Terry Gilliam, the, 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 the um, film director, you know? From uh, Brazil right. and uh, Time Bandits, and he goes, "I love him." And I go, oh, "Your movie, things. Time Bandits, yeah. one sure. of the greatest movies that I Absolutely. think a lot of people haven't seen." He's one of the Monty Pythons. Yeah, uh, yeah. 
And so his style, that same style, it reminded the his yeah. art reminded me of that. And he says, "Oh, I love I, I love his work." And so I said, "Oh, I love it too." So that's why I decided to buy it for the time. Very Had it good. on the top of our house in Sonoma, but Heather made me take it down. <laughs> too much of a political statement. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I guess so. It was moving the house when it got windy. It would move the house down the street. <laughs> we were moving postal code. <laughs> Next thing you knew, you were in Weinberg. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now, Steve, were you a fan of uh, bike racing? Yes. Watch the tour? Absolutely. Yeah. What'd you think? Great. Yeah. And what Great. do you think? Are they still doping or what? Well, here's the thing. is Every year, the Tour de France gets harder and harder. And I used to cycle a lot myself. I used to race myself. Um, I used to race in France. And I've been up some of the Alps. I've been up Alpe d'Huez, been up Gondon, been up Glibier, been up Croix de Fer. When you get to the top of one of those hills, you want to die. Yeah. When those guys do it, that's maybe the first of three or four that day. And then people, and they're, they're cycling a heck of a lot faster than I'm cycling. I think we were cycling, when we were doing it, we were club, we were race fit, and we were doing about seven and a half, eight miles an hour going up the hills. And we were taking people as we were going up the hills. And those guys, I remember the very first year I went over and saw them in 1989, and uh, Luis Herrera from Cafe Columbia yeah. um, was racing against uh, Laurent Fignon and Greg LeMond, yep. and Robert Miller was the Scotsman, yep. and they came rolling up the hill, up Alpaduez, which was the fourth call of the day, and they were doing 21 miles an hour. Oh my God. <laughs> I mean, it's just amazing the sheer speed that they go up those things. And then to do it that many days in a row, oh, it's it's really amazing. It's insane. Yeah. It's just insane. Yeah. But it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing to watch. And I don't think there's any athlete fitter on the planet than those guys Absolutely. at the time when they're doing the Tour de France. I think those guys are the fittest people on the planet. And uh, hats off to them. So if they're taking something, good. I hope it helps the pain. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, wasn't it? Haven't we talked about this? Where back in the day they actually used to have wine on the bicycle. Oh yeah, there's a number of pictures of guys oh, yeah. um, in the old days of the Tour de France with guys uh, stopping and drinking wine right. along the race. They were snorting and, coke. Yeah, and, oh. and, and 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 smoking cigarettes. You know, like on the bike smoking cigarettes. But the other thing is, is that some of those in those early days, I think some of those legs were, they were close to 180 miles yeah. um, I mean it, it was crazy and then the quality of the bike that they rode on is you know yeah it wasn't carbon yeah, yeah like my, my like my road bike at home right now oh that would be probably a, a, a Cadillac up. for them yes <laughs> no it was crazy watching those guys all right so what's the, the what's the next wine here Steve so this is my Sauvignon Blanc uh, it's from Rogers Vineyard in uh, Dry Creek been working with Rain, Wayne Rogers, who's the owner and vineyard manager as well. He's actually, he does everything himself, a fantastic farmer. He's uh, old school Hillsburg. He used to be the Hillsburg High uh, Wrestle Coach, wrestling uh. team coach. Great guy, fantastic guy, extremely knowledgeable. And um, he gives me two rows from his vineyard. I think he has 12 contiguous acres planted. He gives most of his fruit to Kavira and to Dry Creek Vineyards. And I get the two rows in the middle calls me the peacekeeper. 
because um, <laughs> they could never they could never agree on who got the fruit from the left side of his vineyard and the right side. So he said, "I'm sick of this. I'm going to give you the two rows in the middle, and then that's it. Then <laughs> those guys can figure it out on either side." So I only make I make a very small amount of this wine every year, about six barrels of it. But I love the Loire style of Sauvignon Blanc. And that's, that's a really pretty make. wine. So it's barrel fermented, barrel aged, and stirred on the lees. This is again only twelve point five percent alcohol. So I'm picking. Typically, I'm his first pick of the of the year to get this off, and I love the the flavors coming out of his vineyard. You get a lovely, um, you get the citrus, you get that lime, you get that key lime, but you also get that beautiful um, uh, passion fruit and also the tropical fruits that come out, and a little twist of anise at the very back end. Yeah, there's something different on the finish that I don't get out a lot of Sauvignon Blanc. Um, tangerine. Ooh, it's like tangerine pith, like uh, yes. yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. I see and it's so light and mm. clean. Mm. This wine always reminds me of Christmas, which is kind of strange to say, but in Scotland we always got oranges and uh, mandarin oranges for Christmas time. And this right. uh, this reminds me of the mandarin orange, the, the tangerines you get at Christmas time. Yeah. No, that's the thing in the Midwest. Just, so, go ahead. Sorry. sorry. No, go ahead. Uh, I grew up in California, so I didn't know this, but we would always send um, citrus back to our relatives in the Midwest because... I guess they just didn't get no. citrus like we did. And, and and I guess it was a big thing for them to, you know, around the holidays, get this big box of oranges and grapefruits or whatever from California. Brian, yeah. in the wintertime in Scotland, you don't get sun either. Wow. <laughs> so you could send that too. <laughs> I'm never, I'm never moving. <laughs> I was just going to say this wine reminds me of, so the San Francisco Chronicle wine competition was originally the Cloverdale Citrus Fair competition. Seriously? Yeah. Huh. And, and I can remember going to the Citrus Fair in Cloverdale. And when you walked into the auditorium on the fairgrounds that had all the citrus, it reminded me of this, you know, huh. this aroma. That's it's just cool. one of those childhood memory things that you hold on to. That's what's fun about wine is it's emotive. It change, it makes everybody think of something else, and that's what's yeah. lovely about it. Right. I mean, the other thing about this wine is it has, it has a steeliness to it in the aroma, which mm-hmm. is like you know, and it, it's it's acid driven. I mm-hmm. think mm-hmm. you know it's um, uh, grapefruit rind kind of driven, and yep. it's really pretty. And I think to go to your your Loire, um comet i think that's pretty typical of that well i like picking it early bart because you picked up on the acid i love acid in, in the wines and all mines but i pick it earlier to keep to maintain that freshness that acidity and then i put it into the neutral oak barrels to soften that out mm-hmm. but the acid's still there mm-hmm. it's just that the neutral oak gives you that that kind of that different um feeling to hold on to and it kind of takes away from that acid yeah. that you get but it's it's got a nice uh between the two of them, it's kind of fun. Is this a newer release? This is the 17. This is the very end of the 17. I'm going to be getting ready to release my 18 here shortly. But this is, I thought it'd be fun to let you taste a, a slightly older Sauvignon Blanc today, yeah. just a wee bit older. Because when it gets a little on that older side, you're starting to get a little bit more of that orange, the, the tangerine peel coming out, a little bit of the honey, and then the, the anise at the very back end too. Yeah. Although it's, I mean, it seems like it could have been an 18. It's so fresh and bright. You ever get worried picking stuff early? Does that freak you out sometimes? Nope. No, no. You'd rather pick earlier than too late. Yep, absolutely. Sure. Yeah, and it, it doesn't affect. You're not worried about pH levels or anything like that. You just more on an acid. It's TA for me. 
It's okay. all about the tea. I know the pH is, I mean, if the vineyard's in, in balance, which these vineyards are all in balance, you're going to have a nice pH. It's the tea I'm looking for, and it's the tea you can taste in the fruit when you're tasting it. Uh, if you agree, Bart, when you're out Yeah, your I mean, there's no doubt that natural TA is always better than having to add Tell people acid. what TA is that don't. Well, know. it's total acidity, you know, titratable acidity. And it's it's the natural acid that's in the grape. And um, as gr- the grapes develop, um, the acid is when, you know, right now the acid is the highest it will be, you know, because it's just starting to convert to sugar in the in the grapes right and from now on the acid will go down and the ph will go up that's just a natural thing that happens and once the acid is gone um you have to add you know acid back to get that back you have to add you know a dried acid or powdered acid to it um and it's just not the same it doesn't taste the same um uh it, it doesn't take the same. It doesn't, the, the pH doesn't shift um, usually the, as you expect it to. So mm-hmm. you're always kind of chasing that mm-hmm. battle. I mean, those are just practical things that go on. And then the other thing is, is you never know what's going to happen once you pick the grape. Sometimes the acid falls out in the press. I mean, you might pick it and it might look like it's good in your sample, but by the time it gets to the tank, it's gone. I mean, yep. you've experienced that, yep. right? I've noticed I'd step for sure. And then step even during yeah. fermentation. And, yeah. and I stopped these from going through ML, so there's no ML conversion right. and stuff. So, because I'm, again, I'm trying to keep that cleaner, that cleaner feel to it. And then, and then remember, Brian, the whole thing about, you know, the, the talk of these di- diurnals, 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 you know, uh, the <laughs> someday, Brian, someday, I'm just going to look at you and let you say them. Most of the time I don't correct you, but I, just for your listeners out there. Yes. The diurnal shift. So which is the difference between the temperature, the high and uh, the low temperature, the high and the low temperature. Right. right. And so the reason why a lot of grapes in the central Valley, meaning Modesto and you know, that part is there is, it doesn't get cool, cool at night. It just stays hot. And so there's no chance of any acid remaining in the wine. Right. Whereas places like the Russian river, um, you know, Sonoma, um, uh, anywhere on the coast, um, central, you know, Paso Robles, the West side of Paso Robles, where they have those big shifts, those why why those wines tend to hold acid really well. Right, they're more acid-driven wines, as opposed to, I think what we all agree on is that like Cabernets from Napa are not acid-driven wines, right. not the popular ones, right, or the expensive ones. They're pH-driven, mm-hmm. which means they're higher pH and lower acid. Okay. And is, Steve, I'm sorry. Are you are you actually using a ref- refractometer, or are you just doing it by flavor? The first step for me is flavor. So I don't even take the refract out with me when I'm going into the vineyards until the flavor pops. And then once the flavor pops, that's when you start looking for TA and for sugar. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, most of these vineyards, I know I'm going to get the sugar I'm looking for because, I mean, we're in California, for heaven's sake. So it's, you know, we're going to get the sugar. It's it's more, I'm trying to get it, as as Bart's saying, is I'm trying to get it before the acidity falls off. Because, you know, as the sugar's going up, the acidity's coming off. And it's especially with the Syrahs, is I'm in the vineyard's, tasting that acidity and trying to make sure I get it off the vines before the acidity disappears on me. Right. And, and Syrah is known to be a high pH variety. It's, it's something that you, it's just naturally kind of that yep. way. Um, so whatever acid and as low as you can get the pH is usually the better for a Syrah. Absolutely. So. But it's also, you know, you, you talk about the technical things, which I think is absolutely 100% correct. 
The thing that I've noticed though, just over the last few years doing it, picking it early, is you maintain that those higher phenolics in the wine themselves, which have a tendency to get to fall out, I think, a little later with some of the, the riper fruit coming in. You don't tend to get those floral notes, the prettier notes. You tend to get the bigger fruit, the jammier fruit, the you know, the the, the more the darker flavours and stuff. And so it's kind of fun playing with some of these vineyards, uh, especially on the Syrah, because I, I get to play with more vineyards every year. But it's um, by getting them off a little bit earlier, um, you you tend to maintain a wee bit of that freshness, the floral aspect. Even in the, in the, the Syrahs, you get lavender, you get violet. You know, you get those anise. You know, you get, you get those flavour profiles that... I think they don't get cooked out the fruit in the, on the vines, but they, they do tend to fade the longer that you wait for the fruit. And that's that's something I think I, I prefer from, I mean, that's obviously from, from going back to my, my French, um, living yeah. over there and tasting those types of wines is, you know, they don't have the choice because they're so far north compared to California, their latitude helps them in terms of doing that. But they're able to make those wines with a higher acid, with the, the higher phenolics and stuff. Whereas... You know, as Bart was saying earlier, you have to go out to the coast here because you're looking for cooler areas. Yeah. Because um, we get so much sun in California because we're f- so far south, so we have to kind of move out towards the coast to look for an area where the sun is not going to be hitting the vines from seven, you know, sun up to sundown. Yeah. And that's what I think. Going back to your point earlier, Syrah was possibly planted in some of those warmer areas earlier on. It's starting to move out towards the coast now, and it's great because you're right. able to contain, you know, maintain right. that style. Yeah, I just I think part of the whole planting of Syrah, um, it was supposed to be the next super grape, and I think it just got overly planted in a lot of places. Um, and even though some places did plant Grenache and Mouvedre along with it, I think the inspiration was always the southern France wines, but they planted the wrong percentages it seems to me i mean i just i I don't know why that ever happened why so many people planted large amounts of syrah and small amounts of grenache and muvedra in this Mm. part of the county it's odd Mm. so yeah it's different and steve have you ever done a uh, grenache no thoughts no no wait a minute that that was too quick (laughs) (laughs) why not i have not really ever been a great fan of Grenache. Wow. It's not one of You wore the wrong shirt today, Brian. Right? Uh, no, it's never been one of my... Um, I mean, I lived in the in the Rhone. I lived in the Northern Rhone. Um, the Southern Rhone, I think, if... Uh, I mean, there's some wonderful areas down there. Um, I do tend to prefer the Vaquiras and the Gigondas over the Chateau Neufs. Um, the Lyracs are lovely. Um, I mean, I, I, I can drink Grenache for sure, but tends to in the warmer areas for me drives a lot more of the jam right and i don't like sweet wines i really do not like sweet wines yeah yeah i was just down in paso last week and trying a lot of the grenaches i i know what you're talking about i mean it was it, i would say when i'd open up the wine i'd open up and go ooh, candy yeah. <laughs> like i mean it was like sweet red fruit mm-hmm. yeah, well, it does well for them. yeah i mean that's the style down there yeah, yeah. Totally. um you know it's there's no doubt that grenache and it smelled pretty yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I mean, Grenache, you know, Phil would always say when we were looking at the Grenache at Lassiter is that, you know, we'd think, oh, it's ready. And he always said, you have to wait till the, the skins break down and you don't, the skins aren't tannic. Um, hmm. There was always plenty of sugar. 
there seemed to always be plenty of color and flavor, but we were waiting for that tannin to go away. Um, but I think that when that happens, you make a round, opulent wind. Mm. You know, I think that's just what the variety wants to do. Mm. You know, it's definitely on that side, and that's. I mean, it's just a preference. I'm not saying anything against you know the guys down in Port of doing the style of wine and stuff. The Grenache, I've tasted some lovely Grenaches. It's just not my, it's just not my thing. Right. For me, Syrah tends to be drier. It tends to be more of a food wine, and I'm a foodie. I'm making these wines to go with food, and so really for me, Syrah is is the quintessential food wine. Okay, so I don't I assume you're ever going to be making a Cabernet Sauvignon. No. <laughs> or a Cabernet Franc. Now, 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 wait a minute. That was a trick question. Yeah. <laughs> I think that Cabernet Franc might sneak maybe, its way into something. Maybe Heather's going to have her own brand. Oh, Shall God. Do, the first? <laughs> do you want to pour it? Sure. Oh. We've got a guest appearance. Heather is pouring Heather Pinot. Yeah, because you make certain wines for certain people. As I remember, the uh, your rosé is for... My niece. Niece. My daughter, Mackenzie. Yeah, and the She's Sauvignon... She's too young to drink it, but my brother helps her out. Right, and the Sauvignon Blanc. My mum. Yes. Uh, the Viognier is for my mum-in-law, my mother-in-law, and my Pinot is for my wife. Nice. And the Syrahs are for me. <laughs> <laughs> and can you talk a little bit about so the is, label? This is the Pinot. Uh, so the label, yes, it was done by a great friend of ours, a good friend of ours, um, Anna, who is Polish. She is the she's married to a, another good friend of mine. I used to work with them in the tech industry when I was down in um, in Silicon Valley. Guido, he's uh, he's Italian, obviously, and um, so Anna's Polish. He's Italian. Heather's American, and I'm Scottish. We got together one day, drank some wine, and got creative. <laughs> and she's never designed a label before. Um, and she came, she's a graphic designer, but she's never done a label before. And she came up with this beautiful concept, and we loved it. And it's evolved over the years. I think what I love about more nice. than anything else is the roots underneath, you know, showing the plant, the roots of the plant showing. Yep. Um, I, that when I that was what my eye is drawn to in the label. Yeah, it's there's different things. And of course, the reference people. to the lovely women that the white wines are. Uh, <laughs> Of course. Maybe in respect to. And I even have dictionary definitions on the backs of the bottles now. For every uh, every one of the wines in my uh, my ladies series, I have uh, I have um, I have the the dictionary oh, definition on the back. What are you talking about? Difference in the in the, on the, in labels. the labels. On the backs, on the backs of the bottles, there's a, a dictionary definition for Aida, Mackenzie, Heather, and Lee. And so for Heather, which is the Pinot, <laughs> it says the first definition of Heather is it's a noun. First definition is a low-growing plant of northern areas. And the second definition is winemaker's wife, better half, muse. <laughs> that guarantees me a brownie point every year. Just one, though. She's a hard marker. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, if you would have put her as number one, maybe that was a good... (laughs) She's down as number two, I think. (laughs) Uh, Maybe there'll be a revision on the... uh, Yeah, there might be a little label uh, label adjustment. (laughs) (laughs) But this this Pinot is actually from uh, Bennett Valley. It's from Steiner Ranch. Have you been up to Santa Ranch on Bennett Valley Road all the way at the top? Um, when I, the very first year I worked at Kenwood, 
um, that was the last year they got Steiner Cabernet. Oh, yeah. And um, and we had bottled some Steiner Cabernet. I'm not really sure why they chose to bottle it separately. It was it was like opening a can of Jolly Green Giant green beans. It was really remarkable. That's um, cool. But yeah, I was up there one time. Yeah, Nate's yeah. actually uh, Nate and his wife have uh, taken over and farming and done doing a great job. He's got really a lot of nice stuff up there, and he he was good enough to give me a choice of clone, and this is actually Pomard on one one five. And it's planted to things other than Pinot now. Yes, he's got Syrah, a lot of Syrah. I don't know if he's still got the cab. Probably, I probably don't not. No, but he's got Syrah, um, and he's got a lot of Pinot up there. And there's a lot of guys going up to Bennett Valley now because it's just becoming so expensive in, in the Russian River. People are going up to Bennett Valley, and the thing that's lovely about Bennett Valley is the difference in the soil type because you've got that volcanic soil which accentuates the spice characteristic. But it also gives you that round mouth feel from the minerality that you're getting. Yeah. And so it tends to be quite a nice soft wine. This is only, again, 13.6, 13.7, so yeah. it's not that high. But it gives you that really long, really you know, lush mouth feel to it. Yeah, and the, the Bene Valley is definitely, and I think we talked about this fairly recently on the podcast, is that you know, if Carneros is a very earthy um, Pinot growing area, and the Russian River tends to be more jammy and... Um, and rich, um, Bene Valley is kind of in between. Yes. Yeah, and it's yep. probably the highest complexity of the three grape growing areas. I love Bennett Valley. I've, I've been working with Bennett Valley since 2008 from Syrah. This was actually the very first vintage of Pinot that I made from Bennett Valley. I mean, I only started making Pinot in 2013, um, but this was the third vintage, and it was up in Bennett Valley, and it's it was really remarkable how different it is based on that soil. It's very cool up there too. It gets a lot of nice fog patterns up there and it yeah. gets really nice and cool. So it does well for Syrah and Pinot. But it's the it's the spice component that comes out of this wine that's just lovely. Wild mushroom yeah. risotto with this wine is just fantastic. Oh, yes. Do you know anywhere we can get some really good wild I, mushroom risotto? I know risotto? one spot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're actually thinking about switching it. Sante at the Sonoma Mission and we're, you know, we've been doing the mushroom risotto. I think we're, we're just at that week where we'll transition into the Brentwood corn risotto. Just because of summertime, and then we'll garnish with some nice cherry tomatoes out of the garden. Yeah. Actually, one of the most favorite meals I've had with uh, Heather in Sonoma was at Sante. We did, it was a couple of years ago, and it was a chef's tasting menu, and it was his uh, wild mushroom risotto, and it was a, it was his uh, pairing menu, actually. It was, um, he had wild mushrooms throughout everything that he did that night, yeah. and his wild mushroom risotto was absolutely amazing. Just yeah. incredible. Yeah. Yeah, I mean nothing better. I, I think mushrooms and truffle work well with something that's been aged in a little bit of oak. So um, if you want to go for Chardonnay, you know, for the white or Pinot, I think is perfect for the uh, for the red. But yeah, stop by and do a little uh, uh, risotto tasting next week. I would love to. <laughs> or if or if you're already going to be there, I'll bring some out to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'd be nice. <laughs> yes, unfortunately Heather won't be there, so I'll have to just tell her about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. With it, now, are you going back? To, you're already back in school, right? I'm at a year-round school. Okay. So we start. Yeah, go. We start mid-July, uh, and then I have a fall break. So we have three weeks off, end of September, beginning of October, which is fantastic for the rest of the people at school. They get to go on vacation when nobody else is out and about. Yeah. Um, I get to help with harvest, so 
Right. And we should mention uh, Heather's not going to school. She's a teacher. Yes. So, <laughs> so that's why, that's why yes. she's in the school. Yeah. I teach elementary school in Pengrove. Yeah. Right, which we have some mutual friends that, have, mm-hmm. that every time they, they see your wine posted on my social media, they're like, oh. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of interesting. I even have uh, grape growers uh, as parents at my school now because Pengrove's, right. you know, up and coming with uh, that whole Roberts Road area. They've got some really beautiful yeah. foggy vineyards out there. Yeah, we've got grapes and then we've got a new harvest actually coming in. Um, <laughs> That, that I can smell at night when I when I am driving home at one o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's the one right there on. The one that never turns red. Uh, you know, you, you can't see it. They've got fences built up. Mm, you it, can it, smell it. Yeah, it started with a chain link. Then it was a chain link surrounded by a wood. Then it was a chain link surrounded by a wood surrounded by a chain link. And then it was a chain link surrounded by a wood surrounded by a chain link with lights and motion sensor cameras. So yeah, yeah things have changed. I was a bit naive at first. I was like, "What are they doing back there? Do they have a bunch of dogs or something?" <laughs> yeah, mastiffs <laughs> that yeah. jump. Yeah. Yeah. Gazelles, gazelles and pangrove, Brian. Right, right. And Heather, how 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 involved are you when it comes to harvest time? It depends on what Steve needs. Uh, yeah. In the past, I was mostly in the tasting room while he would be in the winery or in the vineyards, Um, but there were times where we had to close because we were both needed in the winery. You know, if it was a picking day and he needed help uh, destemming and things like that, I'd be there. Um, She's good. And yeah, I've learned to use the forklift (laughs) and. yeah. Most important job we have we have figured out that if you can learn to drive the forklift, you're you are in such better shape. Although yeah. it is the most cake job, so if Steve gets on it first, I think darn <laughs> <laughs> means I'm raking stems into the bin. Right. <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute. What do you mean the most cake job? There's a lot of stress that goes on uh-huh. with driving the forklift. <laughs> Well, (laughs) I like your style, Steve. Um, Well, and then, you know, it's not to mention it's efficiencies. You have to be very efficient. It's true and not run into things. Oh, yeah. I know about running into things. (laughs) No, I used to run into things when I was young and foolish. Yeah. So I help with whatever he needs help with. And so... If I need to help him with the pump, I'll help him with the pump. If I need to uh, squeegee the floor for an hour, because that's sort of the biggest job in winemaking is getting all the water off the floor into right. the drain, then I'll do that. Well, but clean up in general. I mean, keeping your facility oh clean is... Uh, is Yeah, I feel like it's 75% of the work. Yeah, yeah, I've heard up to 90%, but yeah. (laughs) It it should be 75%, but it typically ends up being 95%. Yeah. Yeah. Just just ask your local winemaker. Yeah, you're soaked head to toe through harvest. Yeah. That's what I've discovered. (laughs) And now now I'm in trouble because I can't really talk about wine when I'm around 4-H kids or the swim team. Are Do some of the parents at school have a problem with you being in the alcohol business? Not so far. I've had parents say, wow, that's so cool. Let me come visit you. And they've come to the tasting room on the plaza. Or now they're saying they'd love to come make an appointment here. Um, It's not something that I really talk about with the kids. Uh, Although some of them know it. Some 
you know, they're Sonoma County kids and wine is making its way over to Pengrove too. So like Sonoma kids, they're used to seeing it. They know yeah. what the grapes that are growing in the vineyards are for and uh, they might not know what wine tastes like, but they'll say, oh, we know that your family makes wine. And yeah, and they know what grapes are and they, they love yeah. grapes. and Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, uh, I think that's probably a good thing. Right. Know, to just not not make it something that we shouldn't talk about. Um, yeah, we used to have um, schools come to both Kenwood and Benziger. And at Lassiter, the Dunbar kids wow. came. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'd show them around what we were doing. And, you know, there was... Mm, well, yeah. yeah. Let them taste some <laughs> juice. You're like the e-cigarette yeah. people. <laughs> it might be the industry. Yeah. Wow. I was thinking more of Apple computer. <laughs> Like the dairy industry, they might go into it one day, or one of the right. other industries in the area. You know, they uh, they might end up being growers, or they might become winemakers, or yeah. something else. So, um, I know the Benedettis used to have us come in. We would try chocolate milk, and for a lot of the kids, it was the first time we tried chocolate milk before, and mm. we thought, ooh. Yeah, and it doesn't necessarily come from brown cows. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still trying to sell my daughter. <laughs> on that. You know, I did a career day at Petaluma High School. Uh, one year, but it was only one year. I wonder if there was a reason why <laughs> I never <laughs> thought about that. Well, I think Bart Bart showed me a couple of weeks ago. We were at Tablas Creek down in Paso Robles, and they actually sponsor one of the local um, baseball teams. And so we thought that was the coolest thing ever: is that to play for Tablas Creek um, Winery as a you know thirteen, fourteen year old kid. Um, I don't know that that would fly in my house. <laughs> <laughs> I think here in Sonoma, it's just the norm and right. uh, not a big deal. I mean, so many yeah. kids' parents are involved and yeah. Uh, yeah. And I had I had a student whose dad helped engineer, do the engineering part of building our winery. And uh, so we made that connection. Yep. I realized, oh yeah, I know your dad. And uh, so she, during the fire, she was so worried about our winery. She said, did you lose your winery? Did you lose it? And I said, no, we didn't. Everything's fine. Everything's good. And I knew it was because her dad was probably, you know, wondering how things were going over here. So, uh, you know, yeah, and, and one of the actually, you know, not anymore, but one of the dads that you had was Cam um, Isaza, who is a home winemaker. Mm-hmm and um, brother of my best friend growing up mm-hmm. um, who has a little setup in his backyard where he's making his own wine. And I think he enters in some of the local um, home winemaker competitions right. and has done well. Um, yeah. Shout out to Cam and Anita. And Anita, who is an amazing florist. Oh my gosh. Uh, right. Wine, wine country flowers. flowers. If you if you ever come visit here and you need flowers for your wedding or f- for whatever party you're throwing, um, yeah, definitely recommend um, uh, going through Anita. She's one of those people that's at the flower mart at three o'clock in the morning or something ridiculous and wow. with joy. Yeah, right. She's pretty amazing. Right. And he gave us wine for my Christmas gift uh, as a t- his child's teacher. So if that tells you that wine's okay right. in schools, it really. And, is. and that was my idea. I think for <laughs> when everyone was like ice to the Eskimos. <laughs> Yeah, I think I don't think I was allowed to. I thought, oh, what a yeah, what a great gift! I'm going to give wine to my daughter's teacher. My wife was like, mm. oh no, 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 
Really? Teachers yeah. Love every that band. every teacher Dane's ever had is. I gotten know, a and I think wine. the teacher is like going, "What are you doing? Give me the wine." Absolutely. Steve tells people he makes wine because he's married to a school teacher. <laughs> if, she, if, she, Heather, if, if Heather comes home on a Friday night after teaching twenty-seven screaming kids all week, and she's more than three steps into the house without a glass of Pinot in her hand, it's going to be a rough night. <laughs> Not true, but <laughs> it's fun to say it. Oh, that wine is tasting really good right now. That's the Atusa. So basically, we're going to go walking through three different Syrahs. Yeah. And we're going to go from the coolest climate. So this is the vineyard that is fogged in until about 11, 11.30 every day in the summertime. Wow. Um, and this is 13.3 alcohol. <coughs> and that's big for a Tusas. I've actually made a couple of vintages yeah. where it was sub 13% alcohol. Wow. Um, and just, you know, got that lovely pepperness to it. It's got that lovely floral aspect. It's what we were talking about earlier on with the whites. Again, you've got those higher phenolics. Yeah. And that's what I love about... And this was 15 too, so I mean, that was a tough vintage for the style of wine I'm trying to make. Yeah. Just because it was um, it was such a concentrated year. It was uh, the, the fourth year of the drought. And um, so the, the berry sizes were tiny and um, made it very, very difficult to... Um, to do a lot of stuff and because it was the wines were just so in your face they were so showy they were very um, upfront and uh, just because you had such skin to juice ratio um, but that kind of this wine shows that this vineyard is is really super cool climate yeah not a one-dimensional wine that is the, the complexity on that wine is amazing there's so many different flavors going on and hitting so many different parts of your mouth and you say this um, was the last to burn off with fog. Can you give us a little idea, a little more idea where the vineyard is? It's west of Santa Rosa. It's on Abramson Road. Um, it's out by uh, where the old Zazu used to be. Remember the old yep, Zazu? Yep. It's right yeah. next to that. Okay. Uh, so it's... Um, so in between Sebastopol, or actually in between um, Grayton and Santa Rosa. Yes. Yeah. And so basically what when you look at the map, you really see that that... The, the river bend right on West Side Road, right about uh, Wooler Bridge, mm-hmm. the mountains come all the way down to there, and so they kind of, kind of funnel the fog down towards the, the river plain there, and they come funneling down um, Olivet and into that area. And so this vineyard is really literally fogged in yeah. until about 11, 11.30 every day. In fact, when we were looking for a new house, I was trying to convince Heather to move out there because for a Scotsman, it's perfect, ideal climate for living in. <laughs> yeah. Guess what? Kenwood's not going to be that way. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Although that's not fair because the fog does come into Kenwood. It, it's um, more here than like Glen Ellen. Yep. I mean, it does fall in. Um, but Kenwood can be hot in the afternoon. It gets really hot. But you know, the thing is, we've noticed here is we'll get a 30 degree swing from the day to the night and we get our windows open. We can actually sit out on the deck out here about seven o'clock, 7.30. It gets that beautiful temperature because the same fog pattern that's dragging into to Bennett Valley right. is coming into this through the Annadale yeah. Gap here. Right. It just gets more dispersed here because there's nothing to hold it in. So it kind of gets more dispersed, but it's actually kind of, I mean, it does get cool at night here. Yeah. So I'm kind of thinking low vigor Syrah out there and that instead of San Giovese. I'm kind mm, of a little replant going on. Yeah. Hey Bart, can I can I switch seats with you and can we put Heather down right there? Sure. I've got to I've got to get on a phone call for a something. Okay. Okay. All right. So the next one. <laughs> 
The next one, Samantha's. Another Syrah. Too bad for Brian. <laughs> so Samantha's is again, this is where I made the, the rosé from. Um, so the, the upper block of, uh, of Samantha's Vineyard is what I use for the rosé, press it. And this is the, uh, the two other parts to it. So this is more the mid and then the bottom, the evening bottom side, which is where I then um, I get all the fruit off for the, the Syrah. John Grace is the vineyard manager. Uh, fantastic vineyard man. He's got a great team of, of guys. They work on this vineyard. Um, very difficult vineyard to pick because of the steepness in the vineyard. It's an eight-foot terraced vineyard, so there's basically eight feet between the terraces. And so, um, you know, the, the days of harvest when I'm riding on the back of the tractor sorting the fruit as it's coming on, you know, you're, you've, you've got your knees gripping the, the macro bin and you're looking over your shoulder, you've got an eight to ten foot drop behind you. It's not the most secure feeling in the right. world. Right. I want to make sure people understand this. It's not that the the vineyard rows are eight to ten feet across. It's the the row above you is eight to ten feet above your head, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're on the downhill side, you, it's always the thought of falling backwards and rolling down the hill into the vines. And on the uphill side, it's just a matter of getting pinned in between the gondola and the hillside. Yes. <laughs> so when I'm standing on standing on the back of the tractor, yeah, which is about maybe what uh, eighteen inches off the floor, the guy's feet on the row above us right. picking is about a foot to two feet above me. Right. And do they, do you, do you guys actually try to, are you, are they bin tossers or are they bin hand, handers? handers. Yeah. yeah because the, the, the tossing, uh, presses. Yes, um, of course. And I don't, I'm not a great fan of the, the juice that's coming out of the thing. I do like to use the, um, the native yeast. So I do like to let it sit for a little while. So having the, the free run juice in the bottom is not a great thing for me. So, Yes, we pass the 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 the, uh, the bins back and up and down, but it's there's only one team in John Grace's team that know that actually are able to pick this vineyard. Yeah, and it's the only vineyard that I don't night pick, because there would be deaths in the vineyard, right, and right. it just casts a whole shadow on the whole vintage when you've right. got deaths in the vineyard. <laughs> exactly. So we don't do it that way. You got to explain it to people, and yeah, it's tough. Yeah, it's yeah. tough. And then there's, we can't even get a tractor into the vineyard. So it's actually one of those, the, the caterpillars, I don't know what you guys call them, the, the things with a... A crawler. A crawler. Yes. So the crawlers, um, the we call them caterpillars, but they're basically the, the like a tank yeah. that rolls through. Yeah. And so it, Caterpillar's a brand name, like oh, Frisbee. Okay. Yeah. Right. Or you Hoover. Know, or Hoover, yes. Yeah. So there's, there's one guy in John's team that knows how to drive this vineyard. Yeah. And he's up there every vintage and... He just he's he's the guy, and so we start at sun up because again we can't pick it in nighttime, so we pick we start at sun up, and um, it's a very very difficult vineyard to pick just because of the physical physicality in terms of going up and down the hill and picking the the, the vines and stuff. But fantastic fruit, and that's what I love about this. It's actually on volcanic soil. It's a little volcanic plug up there because it's in the start of the hills and the foot hills up, and it's right on the very edge of Chalk Hill. Um, so it's on that volcanic soil and it gives you that lovely round mouthfeel and stuff. It's planted to a different clone. This is the Alban Select. So you're getting that, that fruit forward nature in the wine, but it's also reflective of the, the little bit warmer, a little bit more sun. So you're going to get that fruit forward nature to it. This is the 15 again. And uh, I'm very, very happy with this wine because this is, again, only 13.5% alcohol. So there's only 0.2 difference between this and the Atusa, but there's a huge difference in the palate. And that really comes from the, the flavor profile in terms of the, 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 the fruit coming forward on it. But to get this 
to get the vines off, to get the fruit off, right where you need it to be at this 13.5, which I think is the perfect weight for this vineyard, is very, very difficult because, because the vineyard is so, so steep and because there's only 60 inches of topsoil and then it's bedrock, essentially, um, any heat event as you get closer to harvest, yeah. any heat event at all will dehydrate the, the fruit in a matter of hours. Right. And um, it's really hats off to John, to John Grace in terms of when I ask him to get the fruit off, he always manages to find a way to get the fruit off in time for me. And we managed to make this wine at 13.5. And that's, I was really happy with this in 2015. It's, it's a lovely weighted wine. It's got a nice fruit development on it. Um, and yet it still has that little anise lift at the back end. And yeah, kind of absolutely. Fresh. Yeah, the anise is very, very um, prevalent. Yeah. Yeah. And we love it with, uh, Heather makes a fennel sausage lasagna. I yeah. don't know if she's made any tonight, but fennel sausage lasagna and this wine are made to go. Have you made any tonight, Heather? Yeah, yeah this is a, a whole day process, and it's amazing how often he well, yes, offers we, it to people right, <laughs> when right. they come in. Oh, you should come over when Heather's making that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so it's not just in the freezer ready to go. No. Yeah. And they're often disappointed, but <laughs> often disappointed, Bob. <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot of build up there I can see. Mm. I'm sure Heather will make that for you uh, mm, soon. Sometime, Steve. yes, in the next year. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes. Well, it's a very nice wine also. Um, and, and it's interesting to hear you say, uh, again, it's like thinking about the Russian River going up against Chalk Hill, but I do know what you mean in that location. And yeah, it's very different. Right. Very, very different. So on Limerick Lane, it's just south of the river. Yeah. And there's that little cutout right there. Yeah, yeah. And it's, uh, yeah, the banana belt side. And it starts down by, as you were saying, down by Rodney Strong, just north of um, of Windsor. Right. And then it goes all the way over yeah. there. And there's, it's really quite warm in there. Yeah. It really is quite warm in there. So it's... Well, there's, and there's a lot of Zen up there and, and yep. that all goes well, but you know, it's still that with the, sh with the temperature shifts in that area, it makes it, um, why Zen does well there. And the yep. same thing with the Syrah. Yep. So, retaining working, acid. Well, I've been working with Samantha's the longest, actually. I've been working with this vineyard since 2009 and uh, that's the vineyard I've been working with the longest. And I, uh, I really do love it. It's, it's just, it's, um, it's uh, a very, very difficult vineyard to get to know, and that's uh, that's the only way you're going to do that is with just doing it every year and just getting more experience with it. So for the pe know. for the exactly well, every year is a learning year, as yes. far as I'm concerned, and I wish <laughs> I could put like five or six learning years into one year mm -hmm. because it just takes forever to you know it takes a whole year. <laughs> it takes a whole year for um, people that maybe hadn't heard one of the first couple episodes. Can you tell us a little bit how you found your way into the wine business and um, and give a shout out to uh, the folks at Talty where you started your, really yes. where you started your production career in this, right? Absolutely. Michael, my brother from another mother, um, he, uh, he took me in in uh, 2005 or 2006 and it was... Um, yeah, I got into wine when I was living in France, discovered wine, discovered I loved Syrah when I was living in Northern Rhone. And then when I moved my job, because I was actually in tech at the time, and I moved um, over from France over to California and started discovering the Californian wine districts and wine areas. And on one of those trips, um, I'd actually discovered Michael Talty up in Dry Creek, who makes a fantastic Zinfandel. Um, I don't know if, have you ever tried a Zin? I, I have tried yeah. a Zin at Tastings. And... I guess it wasn't until recently that I realized that it is all he makes is just Zen. Yes, just Zen. 
Yeah. That's all he does. Yeah. Because it's he loves Zim. You're right. And um And so how many different wines does he make? He's up to three or four. Three okay. or four, I think, in terms of Zins. But he makes for for me it's it's a it's a higher acid, yeah. food friendly type of zin. Yeah. It's not super high in alcohol because a lot of Zinfandels nowadays it's a, an exercise of how high can you get it. But he's actually keeping his Zinfandels really nice and restrained, uh, 14, 14, 5. Food friendly yeah. Zinfandels with a nice acid base, a nice, um, a nice balance to them. And I fell in love with his wines actually. It was on a trip up to Dry Creek. I fell in love with his wine. Um, and it was actually the. Um, <laughs> but. Uh, it was just before he got infamy with um, the Wall Street Journal came out and loved his wines and we had visited him the weekend beforehand and I fell in love with one of his wines which was the wine that um, Letty Teague actually gave a huge shout out to in the in the Wall Street Journal and he became famous but um, yeah I was chatting with him and I was doing the Davis extension program at the time and he had done that and um, I just said to him you know I'd love to you know, do something with this thing and he said well you know it's a great program but the best way to learn how to make wine is just to do it and um, it turned out it was a totally innocuous statement I took it as an offer and I said to him sure I'll come up and help you and so I did <laughs> and so I actually started commuting up from the Bay Area on the weekends and helping him out and helped him out for a couple of harvests and then in 2007 I asked Michael I said is there any way I could make a little bit of Syrah on the side because it's my absolute favourite and uh, he's because he's on his own too and he he doesn't have any employees and stuff and he said to me well I'll tell you what if you continue helping me make this in I'll make I'll let you make your Syrah here and that was that was the start of it that was well the start of it it was the next step in going down the slippery path towards um and doing it and so yeah so, he and I got on so your first vintage then professionally was 07 07 when did you quit your day job 2011 okay five vintages of taking vacation because I would save up my vacation hours every year, and I would take it as a block to do harvest, and because um, I would I was doing a job that was kind of requiring me to travel quite a bit, and so I would take um, and so I couldn't during harvest as you know you can't right. when, when, when harvest pops you have to do it. I always so, love home winemakers that say, so my grapes are getting close and. Well, we're going to Hawaii next week. What do you think I ought to do? I'm like, cancel, sell your grapes to somebody. <laughs> <laughs> no, so, I mean that's how I was doing it, and it was—I mean, it was difficult. It was difficult doing it, um, but I managed to get by. But then in 2011, ran out of vacation hours, and so had to sit down with Heather and say to her, you know, it's it's decision time. It's you know, should we do this or should we not? And, would you mind teaching for a few more years? Apparently the term, the, the word in that whole sentence that was the most important was few, because Heather's still teaching. <laughs> but uh, she gave me the opportunity to pursue the the uh, the, the passion and actually continue to do the, the thing. So I quit, quit the job and decided to f follow this full time. And, and so did you guys meet when you were in the Bay Area or, or did you yes. meet before that? Yeah, when I was in Santa, I lived in Santa Cruz. Okay. Love Santa Cruz. Perfect weather for Scottish people. Yeah. Yes. My <laughs> oldest friend who I grew up with uh, introduced us because she worked for the same tech company he did. Okay. And they were going to a wine event uh, in Monterey. Mm -hmm. And it was a Pinot event, and I was excited about it because Pinot Noir is my favorite varietal. So uh, that's how it. we got to, right. yeah, that's how we got to meet. And uh, she just said, you know, this guy's from Scotland. You'll probably have a lot in common because your dad's from there. Um, and it was just kind of a, 
a little comment she made off to the side and we did hit it off and uh, I live three hours away so he actually was commuting from Santa Cruz up to Dry Creek but then he would come over to Placer County where I had moved to for a while and then he actually stayed and with no me Placer County wines during all that oh my time, gosh huh? yeah. oh yeah we did a little wine tasting yeah. no, but then, no you didn't make any wine oh no 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 but I used to taste a lot yeah <laughs> used to go tasting up in the foothills yeah and then uh, he wanted to come back to this region and make wine, but also be close to his work. And uh, being from Sonoma County, I said, well, there are a couple places I love to live in Sonoma County, and this was one of them. So yeah. it's been kind of a dream come true to come yeah. back and live in the Sonoma Valley. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I, it's it's wonderful here. I've now worked here, I guess it'll be 34 years now. And are you a native from here? I'm born and raised in Petaluma. Oh, okay. And yeah, and uh, my mom still lives over there. All my aunts and uncles and cousins are all still there. You're so fortunate to have been growing up in a beautiful yeah. part of this world. Yeah, very much so. This really is. And and world. and you know, and Petaluma's changed a lot, as you know. I mean, That's all of the county has, but it's it's still a wonderful community and stuff. And um, it's neat to see some vineyards going in over there and mm -hmm. seeing some wineries being developed and stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, my dream always was because I commuted from Petaluma for the first twelve or fifteen years, but my dream was always to put a winery down on the river. You know where Bar Ale was, where it's now the apartments, and right. Um, right. you know have it people walk through the winery into the tasting room out on the river, and um, An now urban it, winery. It's happening yes. now, and and now you know urban wineries are everywhere, and in fact, um, uh, what's his name is actually going to build something, you know. Um. Yeah, Adobe Road Winery. Adobe, Adobe Road, Road Winery. Yeah. yeah, there we go. Yeah, <laughs> you know, although he's yeah. still going to be right next to that uh, PG&E substation and oh. um, yeah. yes, um, well, as uh, as Jacques Lardier or not, yeah, Jacques Lardier would say, who was a great Burgundy producer, um, would say the tectonic or the the electric vibrations will never work with the wines. <laughs> <laughs> That sounds like a Burgundian thing to say. Yeah, exactly. Burgundian biodynamic. Yes. You know, um, so. Yes. Um, so this last Syrah that you just poured. Movini. Movini. It's a vineyard up in Bennett Valley. And it's my uh, boldest style because it's the, the, the vineyard that gets the most sun for me. So this wine is uh, now 14%, which is as high as I go. Um, I don't typically like wines that are over 14%. Um, is this one right here? Yeah, no, no. I was just looking at oh. all of them. So, yeah, we've kind of gone from Atusas through Samantha's to Moavene. Um, and basically, we've gone from 13.3 alcohol to 14% alcohol from three different wines. Um, but the thing that I love about the difference in the different ways Syrah, because I think Syrah is one of the most expressive, you might disagree, um, but I think Syrah is one of the most expressive varietals for its place of birth for his, for his terroir if yes. you like it really shows you where it's coming from and Movene for off the volcanic soil in Bennett Valley just gives you that super round peppery uh, luscious mouthfeel and um, this with barbecue ribs or a peppered steak is absolutely fantastic yeah and and still maintaining acid and yep. um, I think I think I've made a few Syrahs over my years and what I've learned is that I've always like waited too long to pick. Um, 
and the last time I made one, uh, the wine hasn't been bottled yet. Part of it has, part of it was used in a, a Rhone blend, uh, but the Syrah part, I think I actually did pick it um, timely, mm-hmm. but it still is a little too high in alcohol for, mm-hmm. you know, what I ideally would have done, Mm -hmm. um, but it seems to be balanced. Mm -hmm. But I think what made it, I think what helps most is there was some stem inclusion and some whole cluster, um, which kept it from just being a monochromatic, you know, over the top jam bomb. Um, And I'm just wondering, do you use any um, stems? Do you do any whole cluster? I do. Okay. I like about 20, 25%. Yeah. And and knowing that now, which I didn't ever know that, I guess, or I didn't remember it, I I think I can kind of see that through the wines, and I really like it. And I think that's some of your success, at least in my mind. It gives gives another element to it, I think. And that's, as you just said, with your wine. I mean, it doesn't matter it's high alcohol. As long as the wine is balanced, right, and you know if it's a wee bit higher in alcohol, but the wine is balanced, then there's nothing wrong with that. Right. Absolutely, nothing I mean, at all. I've I've never hidden the alcohol. I've only had one or two wine buyers like look at it and go, "Well, this is too high in alcohol," and I, "Well, you haven't even tasted it yet." And mm. there's no doubt that there's alcohol that's in balance, and there's alcohol that's not. Totally. And sometimes it's just a matter of the temperature of the bottle of wine. Yep. Like if it's just slightly too warm, the alcohol can just be in your face um i'm not saying that you should serve red wine cold but i think it should be at cellar temperature temperature. and let it warm up in the glass you know it makes a huge difference and so for all the people to say oh it's too high alcohol or um that's the first thing they look at you know you you have to there's a reason why wine judgings and should be done completely blind because um, any information skews your view of it i agree Actually, I drink all wines about the same temperature. I drink my whites at 58 and I drink my reds at 58. Yeah. I like that temperature. Yeah. I think it's, it shows the reds better and it shows you're able to taste the whites. Yeah. It doesn't taste like... Yeah, absolutely. And and again, and I like to have the glass, the wine warm up in the glass just a little totally, bit. Totally, absolutely. Because it goes on with the food. But I think the thing I love about Syrah, and as you've just tasted through the three different Syrahs, is we've gone from a fish Syrah, a vineyard that can really pair with a nice piece of salmon on the grill versus Mulvaney, which is barbecue ribs. And for me, that's why I love about Syrah is it's, the, it's really a, a bar, it's, it's a food friendly uh, wine that you can pair with so many different kinds of food. And that's, yeah. that's what I love about it. Yeah. Yeah. Really nice wines. All of them. So Brian had to go out and take a phone call. And um, so I think we'll kind of wrap this up and, um, I know Brian would probably like to give a big shout out to Vicky and everybody at Hospice Daron. Um, he was down there last week helping out with the big Jeb Dunnick Central Coast tasting. Um, you, we would have had fun there, Steve, because he tasted in four days, he tasted 500 wines. And at the end of the day, they took all the wines to a winery and people could just come by and try them all. Oh. That's cool. Um, so that was pretty pretty cool for him. We were very fortunate. We got to meet, meet Vicky. Uh, we got in to France. travel with Brendan yeah. and Vicky. Yeah. And uh, go to. We traveled the room. Yeah, together. yeah. I've heard about that person. trip. Lovely yeah. Person. yeah. Yeah. We Brian and I went down the week before that and uh, did a podcast with her. Uh, um, and it was lovely yeah lovely and and beautiful place where they live um, uh, down there outside San Luis Obispo. Yeah. Um, Cool. Uh, what about? Let's talk a little bit about here. 
Um, how does everybody get a hold of you? When are you available for tastings? What's the cell phone number? What's the, you know, how, how do we go through the, this and do it? And then on top of that, well, let's do that first. The inside scoop. The inside scoop. <laughs> so it's basically go to the website, www.mclarenwine.com and uh, make a reservation. And so it'll come, the reservation email will come to me. It won't go through a, a call center somewhere in, uh, <laughs> somewhere else. It will come directly to me and uh, we can uh, fix a, an appointment. Uh, we are by appointment. We're seven days a week, but we are by appointment. So we're, um, you know, we do, we try to do about three appointments a day and it's sit down with myself or with Heather uh, during harvest possibly. Um, and so it's basically either of us and you'll sit down and we'll go through the wines and taste with some food and um, we'll take you through them. And, and this is really a, another experience. Um, those of you who listen to the podcast, as Brian said earlier, we do talk about, you know, how it's not going to a tasting room and standing three deep at the bar to taste through things, you know, with a one ounce pour. Um, uh, Steve's idea is to sit here with him, hear the stories about the wines, kind of like what we just did here today and get to spend some time with the wines and really kind of compare them and see, you know, learn from learn about wine through his palate and his eyes. Um, where the grapes come from and how they taste and stuff. It's, it's, it's a great experience. Um, if you're lucky, uh, you, you'll be here when Heather's here. Um, <laughs> I always make sure that you have extra big pours. <laughs> no, no, no. no you're, it's, uh, but it, I always make sure that we have nibbles. Legal one yes. ice pours. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. No, it's just, it's, it's a beautiful spot. It's a beautiful spot here in uh, Kenwood at the northern end of Sonoma Valley and uh, should not be missed. Thank you. So. Well, it's great having you guys back. Thank you very much. And congratulations on the uh, success of your podcast. It's been lovely to watch the progression of it from show number two to, what are you up to now? 110 or 111. Grief. Fantastic. Yeah, and, and it's, it's really interesting. So I just um, saw the report were like at 82,000 total downloads. And the last few weeks we've been tracking between six and 800 um, downloads a week. Good for you. Um, and, and that's, you know, typically I think probably 80% of them or 90% of them are the most current one. Um, but the neat thing about it is, is we have people coming to Sonoma, planning their vacations or planning their tasting trips and restaurants from the winemakers podcast. So it's, it's fun. You know, I've uh, gained some customers, Sam's gained some customers. And for the most part, a lot of wineries, you know, we've heard comments or we see it on social media. We'll see someone say, Oh yeah, I picked this up after hearing the winemakers podcast. So, um, good for you. Yeah, no, you good for all been, of us. Right. Well, you've been working hard at it and it's, it's, yeah. And it's, uh, I th- Sam and John couldn't join you today, but yeah. I'd love to see them both yeah. soon. Yeah, I, it's, funny, it's funny. I think I think I've convinced my wife that this is actually a job. And <laughs> so, so when I say I have to do a podcast today, she goes, oh, okay, kind of like I'm going to work. So, wow. um, I, Good job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you get to showcase local wines. It's fantastic. Right. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So anyway, everybody, thank you for listening to us. Um, you can find the Winemakers podcast on um, all of your uh, forums um, and follow us on social media at uh, Winemakers Pod or Winemakers Podcast. Um, thank you very much. We'll talk to you next week.